Blog Talk Radio. Greetings all and welcome to Getting Loopy. Join us every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern for a little loopy fun. And today is May 14th, 2018. Uh, gentle reminder, no new show next week on the 21st because I will be at the Crochet Guild chapter, the Northern Illinois Crochet Guild of America chapter. Um, I've been pushing you guys hard to uh, check this out because I was concerned that nobody would come, and then they told me today that we may not have enough room for everybody. So, yay! Having lots and lots of pictures next Monday night. But if you want to come and you haven't yet, I would say you guys check it really soon <laughs> because I don't know how many more tickets they will be able to sell because I do not know how the big the room is. Let's just say if this was at a regular craft, uh, you know, like a yarn show, it would have been capped out already. I'm sure that we don't want to turn anybody away. I'm happy to have some extra bodies, but holy Pete, y'all, it's going to be a party. So uh, if you have any intention to come into that class next Monday and you haven't already signed up, do it now because I don't know how many more tickets they will be able to sell. So that is thing number one. Also, those of you that are into the whole thoughts and prayers thing or sending light or mojo or whatever, poor little Loopy needs to have hip surgery next week on the 24th. So uh, send some love and light her way. She has a labral tear in her hip socket and they're going to go in and uh, as best I understand it, they are shaving the ball of her hip so that it fits better in the socket. Blah, blah, blah. It sounds terrifying. Um, They're saying a four to six month recovery and three weeks non-weight bearing and uh, you know, they also say they normally do this surgery on 60 year olds and she's 21 so for the rest of you who have small children who are Irish dancers, you have this to look forward to in the future, man. So think long and hard <laughs> and maybe find them up for travel soccer. Cause, oh, my good gosh. I can't believe she's going through all this. Um, also, I've been promising and promising and promising that the Turkish yarn from Macaroni Yarns that I was selling on Hochanda in England would be available in the U.S. And guess what? It arrived today. Um, all things being equal, I think what I'm going to do is put it on Etsy, which is not necessarily my first choice for e-commerce, but it would certainly be the fastest. Um, just remember I'm on the road next week, so I won't be able to ship anything. Um, but I'll get some videos up and I'll get this stuff up on Etsy. So as always, you can follow us on the Getting Whippy group on Facebook or Getting Whippy 2.0 on Ravelry. But let's get to the fun stuff. Marisa Garris is joining us from Underground Crafter. Um, I met Marie years and years ago. She was interviewing me when I was teaching crochet at Vogue Knitting in New York City. And since then, we've gotten to be buddies and we see each other at shows and stuff like that. She's a really interesting blog. And she also has an interesting life. Crochet is uh, perhaps a, a passion in her life, but certainly not the only one. And I always have an interesting time when I'm talking to her. So let's see if I can get her on the air. Hang on. I could just hit that button again and see what happens. Marie. Marie. Are you there? Uh Uh-oh. It says you're on the air. (laughs) Uh, Well, this is very frustrating. Marie, are you on a phone or a mic or what's going on? Because I can't hear you. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Are we doing this thing again where uh, I can't hear Marie and you can? because that would be enormously frustrating. Somebody text me. You know the drill. 
Let's try this again. Marie? Can you hear me now? Oh, yes. Thank goodness you were giving me a stroke. Oh, no. What happened is uh, I just got booted off the online, but I called in on the phone. So. Oh, thank gosh. Hi, Always Marie. good to have a backup. <laughs> Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good now. Good I just ran morning. through my apartment going, phone, phone, I need the phone. <laughs> Oh, the, the pleasures of live. Oh, it is. But, you know, if we waited for me to edit things, it would never, ever happen. So yeah, there you go. So listen, um, tell the audience about Underground Crafter and what it is and how it, you've been around. I don't, not you personally, but blog's been around a, a long time so far as crafting blogs go. You were one of the first ones that I remember um, really getting interested in. So can you talk to us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure thing. Um, so I uh, am a person with, I guess, about 20 years uh, experience in nonprofit management and mostly in education and health. And in 2008, I had just finished school with my MBA, and I thought, you know what I want to do? It's have a side business that is related to my favorite craft in the world, which is crochet. And so I started teaching uh, crochet lessons locally in New York City. And then in 2011, I'm going to say, I started blogging. And originally my idea was to sort of use it to uh, get some interest in my classes that I was teaching locally. I do a lot of private lessons. And I also was just starting out doing some freelance uh, crochet design. So I thought, you know, be a good tool for that and over the years it's sort of morphed and changed and now it's it's uh it's a little bit more active certainly than it was in 2011 basically i share uh, free crochet and knitting patterns and the occasional recipe and craft tutorial and i also still do some freelance uh, crochet and knitting design and i don't teach crochet and knitting as much anymore because i have a different job now and the schedule is not as conducive to doing that but Basically, those are all the kinds of things that I, I can do and I do also do. And then I, I had a podcast for about two years, which is on hiatus right now, but you bring me hope that one day it will return, uh, which is called <laughs> The Creative Yarn Entrepreneur Show. And basically that podcast was for people starting out in the yarn industry, um, designers and dyers and other people that were interested in making money out of their love of yarn. And it was like all the business stuff that people are wondering about when they start out. And um, that's that's me in a nutshell. All right. Well, um, so why underground crafter? Because a lot of times when I'm talking to new yarn or designer business owners, you know, it's, it's the never-ending story. Do we use our names? Do we use, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or do we use uh, something like underground crafter, getting loopy or hooked for life? Um, mm -hmm. What caused you to choose underground crafter and not necessarily something that was so crochet specific? So when I actually started my business in 2008, being that I am somewhat of a business nerd because <laughs> I do have an MBA, unlike a lot of people that would say, oh, let me see if it's going to make money first, I did everything from the start. I was like, I'm getting a business license and I'm you know, going to be formalized, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to follow the proper channels because, you know, that's how I roll. So when what? I went down, I had a list of possible names, 
And the first four were all taken already by local businesses, so I couldn't use them. And Mm -hmm. the reason I had Underground Crafter on the list to begin with is so uh, you know, because you've been in New York City and lived in the area, so uh, I do a lot of my crafting on the subway during my commute, which is, of course, underground. I was going to ask you if it was a subway joke. (laughs) Yeah, it is a subway joke. And I also didn't want to call it crochet for all the reasons you just said. I didn't want to be super limited to one craft because I, even at that time, I had the idea that it might expand into something else and I didn't want to then be like underground crochet and knitting and sewing and whatever, you know. So I kind of said, let me just go with crafter because it's a bit broader. And Mm -hmm. I've had mixed feelings about it over the years. You know, every so often I feel like maybe I should change it. But, I mean, that's what people know me as, and it it feels like it describes me pretty well. I think the the biggest issue is that sometimes people think I'm some kind of like – you know, dungeon of crafting or, I don't know, (laughs) some really edgy crafting, which I'm not, that's not really me. So, you know, that's really the only area of confusion. Other than that, I think it's it's pretty straightforward. Uh, So what would you call your aesthetic? Do you have a, an area of specialty or a look that is uniquely yours or are you, uh, you know, just exploring what you want to explore and devil take the hindmost? (laughs) Uh, I mean, I think definitely compared to, I I think because it's not my full-time work, even though I probably spend almost a full-time life on it in the evenings and weekends, I -hmm. think that for me, I mostly pursue things that I want to make. So I'm not always focused on, you know, this is the current trend and I should be doing that or, uh, you know, this is the look now or, you know, like um, right now the big thing is modern, which drives me insane because it's not really modern. Modern is from 1950s on. I think what they mean is contemporary. But anyway, the keyword of modern, modern crochet is really in. And I just, I just, that bothers me. So I never would say this is the modern crochet hat or something, even if it occasions. Um, so I think it's mostly driven by what I enjoy making. And mostly what I enjoy making are uh, accessories and toys and blankets. So that's pretty much what I design. I don't really do mm-hmm. garments. Once in a while I'll do a skirt or something like that, but I'm not really a garment person, so I don't design them. Um, so that's pretty much, you know, where I enjoy making things, and so those are the things that I mostly make. Well, that's very cool. Do you think that um, your business is run differently than perhaps the rest of us because you came at it from a business perspective? Because I always talk about, um, you know, when I was writing books in in about the same time, you know, Mm -hmm. 2008, 2009, et cetera, you know, I had a literary agent and a a machine, you know, because Mm -hmm. I came into writing craft books from having written other books. So I came Mm -hmm. into this business as an author and I always felt that that meant that I set my business up differently than a lot of other people. Now, everybody's business is different, and I say sure. it and you say it, or everybody says it. Um, but do you think that there were things that you did when you were starting um, your empire <laughs> that were, you know, well, so, for example, Tamara Kelly was on a couple of weeks ago, and she was mm-hmm. talking about how she basically started out as a mommy blogger, and she put a crochet pattern up, and it yeah. was popular, and therefore she started doing more crochet content. So 
did you go about this with a business plan and and all that kind of stuff, or um, was it sort of a hobby that took over your life? Uh, I mean, I didn't have a business plan, you know, and you know, being that I actually know what a business plan is and I've made them before, like I can definitely say I didn't have one. Uh, But, you know, I think it's not exactly the hobby that took over my life because I was always intending to make money from it. So I think the difference between me and a lot of people I know is that it's not my primary source of income. And Mm -hmm. I have a, a background as a person that teaches business. So for the same time that I've had my business, I've also been teaching business at the college level. So I would say I'm a little bit more experimental than some people because I'm willing to try something that may not work just to see from the business point of view if it'll work. So as an example, um, in 2014, I was like, you know what, I'm going to switch things up instead of relying on teaching and freelancing uh, which is what I was sort of making money from up to that point, uh, doing the freelance design gig, I was like, I want to see about blogging and monetizing a blog. And I had, you know, like two visits to my blog in a year or something because it had been really inactive for a while. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was no reason to believe I could make any money like that. But I kind of just said, you know what, it doesn't matter, you know, if I don't turn a profit this year because I'm interested in seeing what will happen. Uh, And so I think there are people where this is actually their full-time income and they can't pivot like that, you know, if something isn't working. And so there's that whole kind of sunk cost things where you kind of continue with a path that's not working because you know how to do it and you're making something from it, whereas I would feel more comfortable just throwing something up in the air and starting a totally new thing the next day just to kind of see what would happen, you know. Like I teach at where the school that I work now – I teach entrepreneurship, so it would be fun to do an experiment and see what would happen. Of course, I want to make money, but if something didn't work out, I think, you know, it's not like my family's not going to eat or, you know, um, right. those kind of things aren't going to happen. So I I think having that flexibility has helped my business to be able to change and do different things. And I would say compared to most people I know, not someone like Tamara, who's very much diversified her income, or you as well. But most of the people I know, they tend to have one or two income streams, and I probably have more than the average person because I've tried a few different things and I have Mm -hmm. my hand in a lot of different pots. Well, and that's interesting that you say that about, you know, the pivot, because I got to tell you, I, I, uh, having pivoted getting loopy in 2016, 2016 sucked. that was a rough year for me and I do feed my Mm -hmm. family with my 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 yarn industry income so uh you know it's terrifying but I keep talking about one of the things that is interesting to me talking to you is I think because of your business acumen there are things that you say that would not have occurred to me despite my years in the industry Mm -hmm. and I think it's that you just look at things from a different perspective. Now, I want to talk a little bit about about your podcast and, and that it was business-oriented. Do you feel that there are less people breaking, trying to break into the business right now than there were a few years ago at its peak? Because it seems that way to me, but I'm thinking you might have your finger a little more closely on the pulse. 
Well, I think there's about, I mean, from what I've seen, I think there's about the same number of people breaking in. I think the mood in general is not as cheerful, though. So I would say in 2008 to maybe like 2013 or 14, I think it was definitely like an overly rosy situation where everybody was like, yeah, just put a pattern on Ravelry and you'll be a millionaire, you know, that kind of thing, which, you know, that's not really true. But there was that kind of, you know, rosy sunshine unicorn um, conversation. I think in the past few years, it's been a little bit more obvious that just because you had an idea for a pattern and put it somewhere, you're not necessarily going to make a living. And so, I think there's just as many people that are saying, hey, I have this hobby that I love and I'd like to make either side income or full income and how do I make that happen? But I think in general the mood is like less rosy. I think you hear a lot more people saying, oh, you can't make money like you used to and uh, it's harder, I think, to break in than it was. You know, certainly like when, you know, back in the day you could set up a Facebook page and get a ton of followers So if you were sort of one of those early people, you could grow a following really fast. And now, let's say with algorithms, that doesn't really happen in the same way. It's not to say it can't be done, but it's not as as easy maybe. And the same with blogging and other things. So I think it's not that there's not as many people. I think just in general it's, um, I don't want to say less hopeful, but I don't think there's as much um, kind of excitement in general around the possibilities, and I think that has an impact on people that are entering the field because I think, you know, again, flashback five, ten years ago, everybody was willing to share, you know, what was working for them. Um, And I think when I started my podcast, which was in August 2014, there wasn't really any show like it. There was no show that was specifically for the yarn industry talking about business. There were some creative marketing-type podcasts. There were a bunch of, you know, crochet and knitting podcasts that didn't deal with the business side, but there was nothing that was specific to the industry. And now there's a lot more, but it's a little bit of like the attack of the gurus, and some of them I think have good advice, and some of them, you know, their business is telling you that they can tell you how to make money with your crochet business, but they don't have any business background themselves to back it up. So they're sort of selling a hope and a dream, and it's hard to when you're new, to figure out, okay, who's the person that actually can tell me something that's going to help my business versus who's uh, the huckster that's just trying to collect my money. Right. Uh, and, again, which which brings up some interesting points. I wonder, is it better that people are not coming in here? One of my favorite stories of all time, and Asolda Teague, I apologize for taking your name in vain, but this I just thought <laughs> this was hysterical, and it made me love Asolda even more than I already did which was um, there was a, there's a forum on Ravelry for designers. It's just the designers forum. And I had gotten death threats on there from giving somebody advice that they didn't like. And so I don't post on yeah. that thread, but yeah, I, I thread. yeah, well, I haven't, I haven't posted on that board in <laughs> six, eight years since the death threats. People think that that is hyperbole. It is not. It was hilarious okay, when it was all over cute. and nobody killed me. But um there was a fair amount of people that would say, well, I'm not a soul fatigue, but I think that if I put a new pattern up every two weeks that I could, you know, make a full-time living. And about the mm-hmm. 29th person that said this, the soul came on the thread and said, I am a soul fatigue and you're full of crap. 
Um, yeah. She put it a lot nicer than that. I don't want to, yeah. you know, put words in her mouth. But she said, you know, it, it, you don't know what's going to hit and what isn't going to hit. And yeah. if you think that you're going to retire to the south of France by putting out two patterns a month, 24 patterns a year, you're out of your mind because yeah. you may hit. But you also may not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you don't know. If any of us knew, man, we'd be selling that kind of information and retiring to the south of France. But there well, and then there's also of... people that, that only make the patterns that they know are going to hit. Um, but for me, you know, you know, I, I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm not in the same situation of a lot of people in the industry. You know, I don't live in a rural area where I don't have any job options. I live in New York City. If right. this business gets too frustrating, there's other ways I can make the extra money every year. So for mm-hmm. me, being like, oh, messy bun hats are in, let me make seven this week so I can, you know, capitalize on that trend, it doesn't, it's not something I want to do, and it doesn't fit, um, you know, my ethical beliefs about how my business should be run. Your business, run it how you want, you know. So even when you do have that secret idea, it doesn't always work for you. So for me, it's like I would rather make a pattern that I think is good that maybe doesn't hit any particular trend, um, that I feel passionate about it for whatever reason. You know, I was inspired to create it. That's important. That's more important to me than having the most popular messy bun hat. You know, there's other people that, like I said, this is their only source of income. They don't have a lot of other opportunities for earning money. If this doesn't work out, they're pretty much screwed. So they're going to go down, nail down on that messy bun hat, you know, and good for them, you know, because that's how they're making it happen. But uh, I think that's not for me. And I think, but also what he sold is, I guess, is getting at is that. You know, there's a lot of people that think, oh, it's super easy. I'll just throw up a pattern and, you know, the bucks will start coming in. <laughs> it's not really that easy, well, you know. So even, even with that, you, you know. Trend aside, I mean, not even talking about the messy bun hat, I, I and I've said this repeatedly on the show and on my blog, my two most popular patterns were banged out while I was thinking about something that I thought was going to do better. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah. It's not mm-hmm. like I can tell. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's not like I right. can ever tell what the big hit is going to be, ex- except sure. uh, you know, um, on YouTube, which is a completely different issue. But um, you know, from my patterns, the ones that sell the best are never the ones that I thought would sell the best. The ones that I think are going to be great big hits yep. are the one that I sold two of and and never got my money out of the R and D. No. Yeah, and I think there's all like every designer has that pattern that we just love so much, and like the world doesn't love it, and you just don't understand why. <laughs> you constantly are like, "But wait, I have this, you know, beautiful shawl that I made," and it's like no one cares, you know. So, but there's there's right. all those patterns that you just you don't understand, you know, why doesn't this get the love? It seems like it should, you know. But um, right, and it's very hard to go. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> right. Don't you realize this is the best pattern? The other ones are crap. Yeah. <laughs> right. That, yeah, you right, can't right, always right. make that happen either. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it, it's hard. I think the thing that's the main thing is that it's it's like any very small entrepreneurial venture, there's like a ton of work involved. And I think anyone that thinks there's like some get-rich-quick scheme, um, those people – in my experience, don't last. Actually, in a group I'm in of crochet bloggers, a woman 
in the group who's been blogging every single day for, I want to say, three and a half or four years. So seven days a week for three and a half or four years, at least oh my God. one new pattern a week. Um, she went through her site uh, to update it. And she said it was so disheartening because a lot of roundups that she had done that, you know, half of the links, the uh, the blogs don't exist anymore. You know, and this is just in three years' time. So there's mm-hmm. so many people that come in the industry and they have all these great ideas and they don't last. And it's like it's a lot of work. And I think that's the part people don't get. They think it's like, as I said, it's fun. I like to crochet. So now all of a sudden it's a business and I'll make money. No, it's like any small business. You got to put in a lot of hours. There's marketing. You're you're the only person. You're the marketer. You're the accountant. You're the, you know, R and D. You're you're the pattern tester. You're everybody. You know, and so it takes a lot of stamina to keep having a business multiple years later, which I think, you know, isn't always apparent at the start. It seems like, oh, I'll just get in and I'll make something and then I'll be rich. And it's it's not a get-rich-quick scheme, you know. It's it's something that has to be built. And you see the people that have stayed through the ups and downs, those are the people that are successful, you know, because they've had that endurance uh, to stay in the industry. Well, I, I think that's, I think that's a really good point. But uh, yeah, it is it is sort of interesting people coming and going. And again, something that I I've, I've been talking about a lot amongst, you know, our circle of friends too is I feel like things are changing in the current industry. I I think and mm-hmm. you tell me cuz you're the blogger and I'm you know, I'm the world's worst blogger. I should get a t-shirt <laughs> made. <laughs> but you're the world's um, greatest podcaster, so there you go. I have the <laughs> podcast that I didn't even say goodbye or anything. I just put an episode, and then I was like, oh, I can't do this right now. And then a year went by. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I'm the world's worst podcaster, so I hear you. But do you think, uh, because everything that I was hearing at uh, the trade show that we attended in January, we were both at Creativation, mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of, oh, blogs are dead. And I'm like, no, they can't be dead. They just came back, you know. But it yeah. was also interesting to some of our friends that are, are very blog heavy. And, and, again, I'm not talking about people who have been on this show. Mm-hmm. I've been talking talking about other people who are like, you know, well, holy crap, things are changing and I don't want to know what to do. And I'm sort of sitting in the corner, you know, drinking my beer and shaking my cane going, well, mm-hmm. girls, this happened to me when books so you're all kind of freaking out because this is the first sea change that you guys have all had to live through right whereas for me i feel like this is my second possibly my third Mm -hmm. you know so i get anxious and i have to do things and i have to try things and i have to figure out how to replace this income with that stream and blah 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 you know, but I also I feel like at this point in my career I have a better handle on well, just because it worked six months ago doesn't mean it's going to work now. But sure, and I think was, that's definitely that, true. It was hysterical at that same show. Everybody's like, oh, "You had a podcast? Podcasts are cool." I'm like, "I have podcasts yep. for three years. I've had a quarter of a million downloads. Been yeah. there, done that. Literally have the t-shirt." Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's like, well, you should bring the podcast back. Podcasts, podcasting's hip. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I think, I think, um, you know, the the issue with blogs, I guess, is that a lot of people have shortened attention span, and they're not going to necessarily be reading, and they're consuming media while they're doing other things. So, 
you know, podcasts is obviously you can podcast, listen, and drive. You can't really read a blog and drive, I hope, right? So I think it's like that yeah. where hopefully it, it addresses, you know, our busy life. And I think with YouTube and videos, it's a lot of people – uh, you know, we are now past the generation of people that grew up learning patterns from magazines. I mean, there's still people that read magazines and all that, but most people aren't learning how to crochet from a magazine or how to knit from a magazine. So a lot of them can't read patterns, and they don't want to be bothered to learn, and there's a lot of video content. So why should they is sort of their viewpoint. So I think, um, you know, video is just going to continue to grow obviously, because, you know, there's no more people left that only learn how to crochet from a magazine and know how to read patterns. So I think, you know, that that's going to continue. But, you know, I don't think it means blogs are dead. And I think, as with anything, it's like, do you have a core group of people that love your work and they're going to follow you around wherever you go, whether it's a blog or a video or a podcast or are you mostly just catching those random people, you know, like we were saying about they maybe came for that one pattern that they love, but they're not necessarily, like they don't even know who you are, you know. So right. I have people, and I'm sure you do, that they, they've they made, you know, like half of my patterns or more. They constantly are talking to me about, you know, they like this pattern or that pattern, sharing pictures. And then I've also have people that, you know, see something on Pinterest and pop by and get a pattern and we'll never hear from them again. So... I think um, you know there's going to be different different venues at work, but the thing that I've found with the media is I think it's like the media that you're comfortable with. Like you're saying, you're the world's worst blogger. I'm a mediocre podcaster. You know, in terms of actually sticking with it, I right. every year for the past three years I said, oh, I'm going to make more video this year, and I never did. And this year I said, you know what? I'm not going to say that because I'm not going to be a failure for the fourth year in a row. Even if I need video, I just don't have the space in my life to create more video. So I'm going to let that be. But I think if you can, sure, make more video because obviously in the future we're going to have, you know, as much video as we have now and more, not less, you know. So I think does that mean you shouldn't have a blog? Not necessarily, but is it going to be as easy to start a blog and gain a big following as it was 10 years ago? No. So I think that's the thing that you have to keep in mind. You know, with all of these platforms, they it's not those early days where they just opened and you got to be this big person because you were the first one there. Like the first mover advantage is pretty much gone. So you have to put in the work to build the following on whatever kind of platform works for you, whether it's video or audio or blogging or some combo of all three. Well, I yes, I don't think everybody can do everything. Yeah. But yeah. the one thing I think I've taken away from all the conferences that we have gone to this year is that consistency is key. And one of the problems yep. that I have had with the blog is that I am inconsistent. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm working on being more consistent on Instagram, and I'm definitely more consistent on Pinterest, and I'm doing, you know, I'm trying to be more consistent. But... Um, the other thing that was fascinating to me about YouTube is, you know, they were saying the average video on YouTube has less than 500 views. Well, mm-hmm. I have videos with 100,000 views, but I don't have a lot of them. So right. it was interesting to me that all the YouTube content, all the YouTube classes that I've taken in the last year have essentially told me I have done it ass backwards, that I should not be focusing on few videos with high viewers. I should be 
focusing on a million videos, and then if one has high video, you know, high viewers, that's right. great. But again, but that, then, it seems backwards to me. Well, it also depends on your goal, right? Is your goal to have more subscribers? Because the way to get subscribers is to have consistent content because people that subscribe to things on YouTube are different than, again, those people that pop on. So for me, I'm not a video person. Like in my personal life, I don't choose video as the method to learn. If I'm going Mm -hmm. for video, it's like my last resort, right? (laughs) So if I'm on YouTube, I'm just going to see the one video that's going to explain to me the one thing I need to know, and there's no blog post, and there's no podcast about it, right? So I'm not going to subscribe to your channel, whoever you are. I'm just going to watch your video and leave. But the YouTube people, like my friend, every morning before she goes to work, she downloads all the videos from her channels that she watches, and she watches them on her commute. Those people, they want consistency, right? If your show is supposed to come out every Thursday, they don't want to go on Thursday and there's no show. So it's like, who are you trying to reach? Are you trying to get the diehard fans and have the big group of subscribers, or are you just trying to have the most informative video on whatever topic which people are going to search for and find your video, but they're not necessarily hanging out on your channel? So I think that's the thing with all of these. It's like, what are you trying to do with it? And so for me, um, you know, I'm trying to make a certain amount of money at least, right, every year. So I don't right. feel like I've just, you know, wasted my life away. And I'm also <laughs> trying to do things that I enjoy that are better than getting an equivalent part-time job or whatever. Um, and then, right. you know, like I said, I'm trying to try out new things and see how they work because for me that helps, you know, I, I find it interesting, but also it's something I can use in my full-time job, right, in my classes. So uh, I have maybe a little bit of a different goal than somebody who's like, I just need to get, you know, 50,000 followers on YouTube so I can get a sponsor or whatever it is. So that person is going to need to be consistent with the videos every X number of days at a certain time because that's how you build subscribers. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I don't, you know. So I think to go back to your first question about the business plan, you it helps if you have some idea, some relatively specific idea of what you want to accomplish in a given time period. So whether that's, you know, a whole year or a shorter time period, because as you said, there's so many things you can be doing in your business and they all take time and, you know, there's only so many hours in the day and you can't do them all. So how do you decide which ones are important? It's like hopefully you have some kind of goal of what you're trying to do in this period of time and then you can say oh I should be on YouTube or blogging is the right thing or you know that kind of thing well and the other thing I think that I have been thinking a lot about recently is there are things that we do as content producers um, to make the people who follow us to give them the content that they want but it seems to me and again this is a, a change in my thinking over the last year I also feel like there are things that I do to make the gatekeepers to the money and the sponsorships and the ads and the supplies that I mm-hmm. want. I think there's things that they care about. Yep. And uh, again, I, I keep I keep talking about the Snap Conference, but the YouTube class that I took that I just thought was life changing. Mm-hmm. She was talking not just about being consistent to make sure that the people who consume your content know Mm -hmm. when you're going to post new stuff and that they can stay on top of it. But if you're consistent 
then YouTube is happier and you're yep. more likely right. to get Algorithm. featured. And if you're featured, then you get more things. You know, so um, when I was teaching my business class in Dallas a couple of weeks ago, you know, somebody said, you know, I don't care much about Instagram. Can I skip it? And I said, you know, uh, six months ago I would have said yes, but every single sponsor I've talked to this year has asked me yeah. how many Instagram followers I have. And the answer was, you know, three. <laughs> right. So, You're like three and growing. Now. You're like, I have a growing number of subscribers. <laughs> Right. I have zero, now it's four, or whatever it is. Yeah. Exactly. You, you quadrupled your following this year, so that is an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, no, I and and that's the thing, it, and that's what I what I'm talking about with the balance. Like, I know for me, I want to do more sponsored work, so I'm attuned to what sponsors are looking for, which is definitely Instagram. Like you're saying, um, they definitely have a preference there. For me, again, it's not my personal platform of choice. Um, but, you know, if that's what they want, then I'm going to try to be present on there, right, and try to grow my following there. So I think, but if my goal wasn't to get sponsored work, if I was only going to be, you know, monetizing through advertising or affiliates, I probably wouldn't spend as much time on Instagram because I don't get a lot of click-through, and so therefore I'm not earning ad money or affiliate sales through Instagram. So for me that, you know, so but again it goes back to kind of what are you trying to do, and I think I think it's hard when you, you know, your goal is just make money. Like it has to be specific, you know, and then, then you can break down the categories a little or you can try something for a period of time to see if it works. You know, like if you found that you kept being on Instagram and you kept following everything you're supposed to do and you're still not getting any traction there, maybe at some point you would go back to your sponsors and say, look, I'm not on Instagram because my audience isn't there, but here's what I have instead. I have YouTube, I have XYZ, right? But it's like at least you gave it a shot to see if it would work. And, and I mean, I'm not saying it's not going to work, but if it didn't. You know. no, I, no, I get your point. But, again, it's interesting, and I also think um, you and I are of a certain age in that we are not 20. Um, yes. I also think the gatekeepers are getting younger and younger. Mm-hmm. So I have found for me personally the, the stress in my life was up until recently, you might be disappointed if you wanted to work with me that I didn't have 10,000 Instagram followers, but I had written 15 books and that was something. Right. Um, now I'm finding as the gatekeepers get younger and younger, my credentials mean less and less to them. They don't care right. that I have written 15 right. books because right. that is they might not care a about your video means with 100,000 views. Yes, yes, right. You know, and and they care about my podcast with a quarter of a million downloads. Yeah, exactly. Because that is that is a quantifiable number that I can yep. say I did this and it's a thing. You yeah. know. Um, I'm, but again, I'm I'm sort of delighted the podcast is back. I'm having a lot more fun than I anticipated. I thought it would be a slog like it was at the end of its life. Um, but it, it's kind of fun to be back. You know, I enjoy interacting with, um, you know, the fans that were fans the first time around. But there's yeah. also an entire new audience that was not familiar with the podcast the first time around yeah. that are joining us as a new thing. And that's cool. And that's, I, I think that's... you've kind of inspired me. I told you I, I'm considering unhiatusing my podcast, but I don't know. I can't I can't say that for sure because I don't want to say I'm doing that and then never have another episode. 
<laughs> so, but I, I do think there's, I mean, as as unpredictable and wacky as the live format is, I think the the plus is, for me, the thing that bogs me down is the editing and, you know, going back in and taking this out and adding this in and putting my commentary at the end and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if that's weighing me down and if that's the main thing that's weighing me down, maybe the live is a better option. Because I, I, you know, just like I'm sure you did when you were on your hiatus, people write to me and say, oh, when is the show coming back and that kind of thing. And it's like, uh, but. Yeah. Although my favorite, and this is snotty, but if you've listened to the show, you know I'm a snotty person. I thought this was hilarious. <laughs> it was interesting that a year after I had done the last episode, I would get emails from PR people going, I'm such a huge fan of the podcast. Can I do Oh, God. Oh, Dude, I if know. if you were a Those... huge fan of the podcast, you would know that we have not done that episode. Those bad, years, you know? and, and the thing that's crazy with that is somebody is paying, if they're not even from the person, somebody is paying a company to contact defunct podcasts and be like, can this person be on your show? It's like, what? Oh, just throw your money into the fire right now. I get those too, and I'm thinking, first of all, what you're saying is totally irrelevant for my show. But second of all, the last episode was November or October of 2016. Does that not tell you that it's probably not accepting guests right now? Right. Also, yeah. with, and I'm such a huge fan. Right. No, I'm no, the biggest fan not. of your well, show. Right. Will right. you bring this person on that has nothing to do with your topic? Um, no, thanks. Yes, when you haven't taped a new episode in, you know, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> right, and you don't have you have no new shows, but also it's totally unrelated. And like I said, that person is getting paid by some poor person who wants to be on a podcast. So. Well, I, again, it's interesting. The other thing that, uh, again, it sounds like I'm being bitter, and I guess partly I am, um, but there's been this sort of sentence going around recently that says, don't confuse popularity with expertise. Yes. Because so my true. other issue has been people that are very popular in one arena or another um, teaching. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want you to teach if you don't have a clue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You go ahead popular and do your thing but don't don't purport to teach other people how to do what you're doing when you're not doing it correctly because then those of us who are actual teachers have to deal with that crap in the room yeah yeah, yeah i mean um, that's like another but, one of the guru itis things you know it's like people will just pay someone else to teach them something without verifying that a the person knows how to do it and b the person can also teach what they know all right, well, so here's our, our one words of wisdom because we're running out of time, believe it or not. Um, if, if somebody gives you advice, solicited or not, um, go, go Google that person and find out if they know what they're talking about. Um, yes. Because oh gosh, uh, a lot of people, uh, particularly on forums, and I'm not, you know, busting on Ravelry here, but um, because I do think it's a lot less of the wild, wild west there than it used to be. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, in art, in business, in politics, in whatever, just because you yell the loudest doesn't mean your opinion is the most valid. So, so if somebody true. purports to give you advice or not, um, maybe look that person up and see if they have any uh, expertise in the area in which they're trying to advise you. So listen That's to Marie because she knows about business. 
<laughs> and don't listen to me about anything because I know nothing. That's <laughs> not true. You know plenty. That don't don't uh, sell yourself short. That's that's a scam, everyone. She knows a lot. I'm always asking her for advice. <laughs> Actually, my favorite thing, Marie, that you've ever said to me, and I'm I'm going to share this because I think it was hilarious. Uh, we were talking about somebody, uh, one of the gurus and how um, there were cocktails involved in this conversation and how disturbed <laughs> we were that, that people paid this guru so much money because this guru purported to be able to change your business. And we didn't think that that person actually had any credibility. And this was before I had gotten started uh, on Instagram. And so all of my Instagram pictures were me sitting at the beach crocheting or knitting something because I moved to the beach for a reason. And, you know, all mm-hmm. 20 of my Instagram pictures were the beach. And you said to me, you would actually make the perfect guru because if you look at your Instagram feed, people think you just sit at the beach and knit all day. <laughs> that's all you do. And that's how you make a living. So, you know, maybe you should go be a guru because your Instagram feed gives the go. perception that you don't do any actual work. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You're the the 10-hour-a-week um, business yeah. on beach. Yep. Tim Ferriss <laughs> for this four-hour work week. <laughs> Great. I could be the Tim Ferriss of the arm world because all of my Instagram pictures are me sitting at the beach with my toes <laughs> in the sand and a ball of yarn in my hand. There you so, go. So, Marie, where can people find you? Um, probably the quickest place is like undergroundcrafter.com, and I have a follow tab where they can find all the social. All right. So I highly uh, recommend that you check out Madame Marie. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad Thank you were you. here. All right. Always I'm a pleasure to talk to you. You too. And I'll see – well, I don't know when I'll see you, but um, I'll actually be in New York in a couple of weeks because of um, the kid's hip surgery. So, oh, okay. Um, I know you have a crazy schedule, but maybe we'll have lunch. All yes, right. I'm that would be good. Ha- I'm going to hang up on you, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. And- Thank you. Bye. Oh, she was saying thank you, and I hung up on her. So uh, for the rest of you people – um, that was Marie Segaris from Underground Crafter, undergroundcrafter.com. So go check her all out. Um, remember, no show next week on the 21st because I will be in Chicago area teaching at the Crochet Guild and then making you some fabulous videos that will be on the favecrafts.com channel. And um, after that, we have Lindsay Stevens from Poetry in Yarn and The Lindsay Life, which is her new branding. And uh, she'll be on on the 28th. And then June 4th, we have my dear friend Charles Voss, who will be talking about his um, content in crochet and knitting, both in English and in Spanish, and his tech editing. And then we were, the many of us are off to TNNA after that, and uh, I'll, I'll book some more guests while we're there. As always, uh, check us out on Facebook and on Ravelry. Let me know what you like and don't like, who you would like to see and not see. And um, I will post everywhere I can think of the post when the, when the yarn is up. I know a lot of you saw it on Facebook when I was selling it in England and wanted it and you couldn't get it because the shipping was $9 million. Um, so I will be getting on that, but it literally, I was unpacking the boxes right up until the time when I started the episode tonight. So no show next week. See you in two weeks. Tell your friends we're back. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'll see you real soon. Good night.